Hey, this is Marie from Brad Ohio. I wanted to welcome you on a new episode of Naysayers, where we're going to be discussing about entrepreneurship, equestrian sports, as well as everything related to the company and how we aim to improve the market in the future. If you want to find out more, feel free to subscribe, follow us on Instagram, and of course, check out our nice catalog of horses. Take care of See you soon. Ciao, ciao. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it's very meaningful to us that you accepted to do this, this podcast with Bridal, and uh, we're super excited to, to have you. And Marie, is anyone else on with us? Is Tori on? No, 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 she's not. She's not. It's just me. It's okay, just good. Me. All right. Just me, and of course, uh, the audience of Bridal, they'll listen to this later. <laughs> right. So do you start editing this, or are we live now? We're live now. We're live now. Oh, great. But I can always edit this out, but unless you're comfortable with this, we're good to get. <laughs> we're live now. So, um, well, I, I suppose that the best way to kind of start this conversation is really to to meet you, meet you first. Um, who are you? What your role is within the American Federation, and, and how did you get here? I think that's a pretty good approach to start it. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks, and uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it is a pleasure to be on uh, the call with you and get a chance to have a conversation and. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, a couple of people learn a thing or two from uh, the conversation or, or, or generates questions and we have follow up later. So uh, I appreciate the time today. Uh, yeah, so I am now the president of the United States Equestrian Federation. What does that mean? I'm the uh, I'm technically the chairman of the board. Uh, I came into the federation in a governance role um, six, seven years ago when I was asked to join the board as an independent director. Uh, the board of the USEF at that time was 19 people. It's now 21. Uh, there are there were two independent directors. There are now three. Uh, the rest of them are representatives from some of our largest affiliates. And of course, uh, 30% of a third of our board are uh, athletes. Um, so I came in on, on the board as an independent director, and it was a real honor when I was asked to do it. I thought it'd be a great thing. I could learn a lot. Um, I asked uh, the people who nominated me uh, why they had done that. They thought that I could uh, bring a different perspective to the board and to uh, help you know, the, the board, what is, the, first of all, what does the board do? The board, we kind of set strategic, uh, a strategic vision and, and plan. And, you know, the CEO of the Federation, who is Bill Maroney, and all the staff, they run the, the, the Federation. The board, in my role as president or chairman of the board, is to help uh, review and make sure that our, uh, our, our key strategy is, is moving forward. So, you know, technically, Bill Maroney reports to me. So I report to the board. Bill reports to myself. We work every day together, making sure that we are affecting our strategic plan um, and, and, and moving forward with that. Um, <clears throat> so when I joined the board, I sat there for about a year and listened because there was a lot of very smart people on the board, a lot of top professionals. There were Olympic athletes sitting on it, and I was a little bit uh, starstruck and in awe. Uh, but I listened to them all, and I learned a lot, people from professional horse men and women from all different breeds and disciplines. And I learned a lot. And what I realized is there are certain things that I understood better than other things. Uh, maybe some of the things that were more business uh, issues or questions uh, or finance, which is my background. And um, so I, I, I kind of jumped on a couple of the tasks that were put forward by then President Murray Kessler that needed to be addressed. Uh, the board identified them, Murray identified them, and, and they put me to work on a few of those. So through that process, I think the board liked some of my analysis and 
reviews and presentations and recommendations that were made to the board on a couple of issues. And they asked me to then, I got nominated to be the treasurer of the federation of the board. Um, so I did that as, and, and that's one of the three executives of the board, um, executive committee members is the president, the vice president, and the treasurer secretary, which I was. So I did that for a few years. And then, um, Murray's term was coming to an end and Murray had been, uh, he's a very skillful and, uh, an excellent CEO. He's turned around a couple of companies, very large fortune 500 companies and, was no surprise to me, but another company tapped them on the shoulder and asked them to come in and help turn them around or help run them and build them and grow them. And he took on that, uh, um, he took on that, that new role for him, a new exciting experience. So I got nominated and again, it was an open process to become president, uh, when Murray said he wasn't going to rerun and people could have run against Murray, but it was his choice to run or not run. And he decided not to. And again, I got nominated by a number of people and it was a nomination committee and they asked me to be president. And that was in June of what are we in 22 now, June of 20, the board elects the officers. So the board elected me as the incoming president. And really I started boots on the ground right then started working with bill on planning working with murray on the handoff working with senior staff and and we formed a strategic plan review uh subcommittee of our board to see where we've come from 2016 to 2020 uh we reviewed murray's strategic plan what it said where we're going and then um uh, we decided to put forward our, our new four-year plan, which we are, have undertaken. So, anyway, I know I talked a bit, but that's how I got involved <laughs> with the um, with the. With, uh, that's how I got into my new ro the role that I'm currently in, which is a four-year term, Marie. Um, and I'm now a year and a half into it. That's super cool. No, no, I mean, you definitely invited on this podcast to talk about yourself. So, <laughs> so don't worry, that's brilliant. I find it, I find it super structured. It's very well. I mean, it, it needs to be. It needs to be, of course, considering the role that you guys have in in the industry and also internationally. Um, what what would you say was your biggest biggest challenge when you started? Because that's kind of an overwhelming role to take, isn't it? Do you have like corporate experience in the past before that? Or? <laughs> you know, it is, it, it is, it, um, you know, but I felt, uh, you know, one, I guess people who know me know that, you know, I, I wouldn't take on something I didn't think I could do. Um, and, uh, you know, I did have the opportunity to reject the nominations and I, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking it through and discussing it with my family, first of all, and my friends and make sure that they were all on board with it and what could I do and, and would it be helpful? So I was excited about it. Um, yes. Yeah, so my background, I worked on, I worked in, uh, the financial services industry for 30 plus years. Uh, I had my first, I was a clerk. Uh, at a bank in 1979, and yes, I was only 16 years old. That used to happen back then. You know, before computers, Marie, you're much younger than me, but uh, you, they had to hire young people. We had to run orders and tickets and all that kind of, you know, we had to manually, physically run around and hand people pieces of paper before we had these wonderful computers that just process things remotely. But one of the things I did do, so I've seen, uh, you know, the financial service industry, and in particular, I worked on Wall Street on a trading desk. And I ended up trading around the world uh, and, uh, and managing risk. And one of my um, skills, I believe, was two things. I think one was managing risk. And the other thing was adapting because the financial markets change constantly. So we had to adapt and we had to analyze things. And I knew I was not an expert in many of the things that we adapted to. But what I was good at was pulling together the experts, listening to them, and trying to position ourselves. And we grew businesses out of nothing. Uh, we were handed businesses at times that had much 
and couldn't and we had to not just maintain them but grow them so i we handled a lot of different types of i mean in, i always used to say in the financial markets there was a you know, it seemed like there was especially the global financial markets it seemed like there was a catastrophe of some sort you know every other year for sure so we we did respond to change a lot and i think that's what i bring to the table so so um with equestrian sport, listen, there's so much wonderful tradition with it all around the world. So a lot of great things that don't need to be changed. But there's a lot of things that are moving around us, right? The world is changing and we need to make sure to keep our sport relevant. And um, uh, and again, I'm not a professional horseman. Uh, but um, I think having a lot of great smart people around and giving the, having them give us input, I can help you know, navigate what the challenges are, as well as the opportunities. So I'm very excited about the role. That is, that is absolutely fantastic. I think ah, it's, it's such, it, it would be such an opportunity for anyone that really wanted to take themselves to the next level, both blending business, corporate knowledge. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you deal with all sorts of stuff every day. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> I'm here freaking out when I receive an email from someone like, having little legal problems with the horses, this, that, the I'm sure that's 99% of your work. No, there is. It, and, you know, there's, there's definitely, uh, but, you know, the fun thing about it is um, it's good to be able to resolve them. And listen, not everyone is happy when you resolve an issue, right? Um, you, you'd like to think everyone's happy. There's compromise. There's meeting in the middle. You know, I always say when you meet in the middle, it doesn't mean both people got what they wanted. And by the way, we don't always meet in the middle either. You know, some people it's just a no, some people it's just a yes. So they're tough decisions. But I can tell you that there's a thorough analysis of each issue. You know, there's no smoke-filled room with a bunch of people sitting and, you know, just making things up. That's not happening, I can guarantee you. This is a volunteer-driven sport around the world, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, our federation, you know, we have 29 breeds and disciplines underneath the USEF. And there are, I think, 19 affiliates, and we have educational partners. And so there's a lot. And all of those organizations have their own, uh, you know, governance and committees and all volunteers so it's really quite a network and it's it's a complex governance structure for our sport in the united states and globally um so but it can but it, it is managed you know very well i think as complex as it technically is um yeah yeah so i think that's good it's very interesting i always like wonder how things are done on such a high scale because <laughs> you guys also have such a big responsibility it's not like it's just running shows, managing reading and stud book and all of this and managing people. Mm -hmm. There is a tremendous amount of responsibility. The American market is so big yeah. when it comes to the overall economic value that horses bring across all disciplines. Uh, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's huge. Do you guys, just out of curiosity, um, do you guys involve yourself in the racing market in the U.S. as well? No, we do not. Not racing at all. Okay. Yeah. So we're sport horse, and that's how I always explain it to people. And racing is separate, and most yeah. of the Western world is separate as well. We have Western dressage underneath us, but, you know, the quarter horse and reigning horse people are separate than us. But, okay. you know, it's interesting. So one of the things I've always, uh, well, the one thing I like about the job, uh, oh, I just remembered a quick story I'll tell you as well, but in a second, so remind me about the quick story. But... One of the things that's interesting about the job and what I bring from my experience is, you know, I used to do a lot of uh, comparative analysis uh, between companies, between industries, between geographies around the world. You know, what's an auto company do versus another auto company in the United States? What do they do versus auto companies around the world? So that type of analysis, I think, is uh, is important in our sport because 
you know, I saw a survey someplace about equestrians globally. It was a global survey. It's a huge number, and I don't have it in front of me, but it's somewhere like 75, 80% of equestrians only care about one sport, equestrian sport. So, which is great, and it makes sense to me as well, because our sport's different than most others, right? We have a, a living, breathing partner, the, the horse involved. So it's not like any other sport that you can do it and then put down your golf clubs or your tennis racket and walk away or your baseball mitt and not pick it up for another month. You know, there's, it, it, it's, you know, your, your horses, you know, it's like uh, having a, a human partner as well. You got to take care of them, right? Take care of each other or take care of your children. You got to take care of your So it doesn't surprise me that uh, equestrians are so, focused on equestrian sport but what that also tells me is it doesn't give us a lot of time to look out at other uh how other things are being done which you know that's kind of one of my roles right and the board and, and our senior leadership at the federation um so what i what i really enjoy about this sport is <clears throat> i've gotten the opportunity in my role now to sit down with people in my role across other sports in the united states right under the usopc or even outside of that just to see how other sports are being run and managed from the grassroots up to the Olympics, right? So that's important to work with them and learn from them. Additionally, so not just, I guess that's horizontal, looking across all other sports, but then I also get to look, I think it's vertically maybe, at, um, at other sports, at other federations, equestrian federations in, in the world, right? So then I get the chance to sit down with the FEI and um, go to meetings and, and learn from the people who are running the National Federation in Germany or Ireland or England or anywhere in the world, right? So we're all the Americas, South America, Central America, Canadians, you know, so I learn a lot from all these people. And it's kind of neat to, you know, you got to triangulate and, 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 and make sure that we're, we're in line and learning from each other and working together. Very important. In terms of... Um I have I have curiosity because you just spoke you just spoke a little bit about data. Um, yes. When I was starting, um, a lot of the, the job that the work that we did before launching what we were doing was market research, right? And we understand that the overall value of you know everything in question is considered to be about three hundred billion dollars a year, approximately, mm -hmm. which is a massive number. And kind of all sorts of different people have different opinions and. There's not that much that much data available yet in, in the market to make this a very transparent number. Do you have the possibility to talk a little bit about number when it comes to the American market itself? Do you know a little bit about that and how many questions there is and, and kind of just to get more of a you know economic understanding of, of the market currently? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Very um, tough question. I just thought of it. <laughs> no, that's great. No, I'm glad. Hopefully uh, our conversation is making people think about these type of things. But you're exactly right. That, that, that is a spot-on question, and it's a hard thing to get your arms around. But it's something that um, many people have looked at and, you know, I look at continually. In fact, you know, when I sat down, in fact, when they first said, you know, we're going to interact with now federations around the world. And... You know, going into those conversations, I, you know, I, I there, there's data, and I had to pull it together because I wanted to know, okay, how big is the U.S. market relative to all these other, all the other markets, and um, how relevant is U.S. equestrian sport to all other uh, countries' equestrian sport? And you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, 
I had an idea, but you know, I really wanted to know factually, and, and the numbers are the numbers, and it's very significant. In fact, um, as measured by the FEI, they, they use a term called an event, which is really not a horse show, but each of the FEI classes at the show would each be a separate event. So if you ran a, um, you know, an FEI. I don't know if it's a, a dressage or a jumping or an eventing. You, know, you could run at the children's level or junior level, uh, a, a U25, and then all the different uh, higher levels above that. But if you ran them all, if you ran four or five of those, that would be considered four or five events. But using that metric across all uh, all NGBs, all national federations, NFs, that's the terminology used overseas, um, the United States is second in the world. Uh, for number of FEI events, so that's FEI events. So um, uh, across the now seven uh, FEI disciplines um, was a, but Rainey's no longer an FEI discipline. So when you look at that, it's pretty significant, right? Um, we are a big market. We have a lot of international riders coming here, and we have a lot of our riders going overseas as well. In fact, I, uh, Maria, I had the opportunity. I was fortunate. I was one of the people who was able to attend the Olympics in Tokyo last summer. Oh, very fun. That, that, that's big. That's big. <laughs> How was that? It was fantastic. I got to commend the Japanese uh, and the government, you know, the organizing organi uh, group, uh, the Japanese government for standing up and, 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 and getting that done. I mean, it was excellent sport. Yes, it was a shame that there weren't people there, but that was something that was handed to our sport, to all sport, right, to Olympic sport. Uh, you know, it was out of all of our hands. And, it, you know, they'd done all the planning and made the commitment. And, you know, a lot of people could have walked away. And it was, as you know, everyone knows, it was uh, postponed for a year and they managed to pull it off. And people were safe. I think the population and the bubble, the athletes and support staff uh, that were within and volunteers from Japan who were in the bubble, uh, the ratios and rates of, you know, biosecurity and safety and whatnot for humans uh, and horses. Uh, far surpassed the greater population outside of that bubble, you know, outside of Japan, which had a pretty good, was doing a pretty good job to begin with as a country. So anyway, what they did was spectacular. There was a lot of technology being deployed, things I've never seen before. I had four or five apps I had to check in with every day <laughs> and we were restricted. We were monitored. They knew where we were. And if you were not approved to be somewhere, you were not going there. So, uh, but the sport was fantastic and it was wonderful. But what I was going to say is, you know, and listen, there were a lot of things, not just uh, uh, COVID, but in Europe, there was EHV outbreak uh, in the, uh, the winter, spring, leading up to training for the Olympics in the summer, right, last year of 21. And it was very difficult for a lot of people to do training. But I remember sitting in the stands watching the show. There were 75 uh, combinations entered in the show jump, an Olympic show jump. And I, I'm telling you, I think it was more than half. And I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I know it was more than half of those combinations did their training and preparation in the months before the Olympics in the United States. You know, most, many of them were down in Wellington. It was really amazing. We had to make them, you know, help get them into the country and get their staff into our country to help train. But it was really a wonderful thing uh, to see because as that was going on, I was like, well, this is good. We all work together. Um, when one area of the world was having difficulties, another one opened and supported and there, and, and there in, you know, the Olympics occurred and it was, it was a great event. I thought. That's pretty amazing. Talking about, because you just spoke about technology, and, uh, and oh, as yeah. you know, I like that type of conversation. Mm -hmm. Knowing how, <laughs> please don't get mad, but knowing how bureaucratic um, federations are on a national and international le level, knowing yes. how many 
steps yeah. they are into making any decision happen knowing you know how well it's, it's very much corporate compared to to a lot of other other fields um what are the perspectives of the USEF on digitization and the modernization of our sports both in like uh, trade media pr like with all sorts of startups that are coming up what's your take on that well those are all directions that our sport uh you know have to take <coughs> right so you, uh our, our sport has to take that has to move in those directions because that's the that's the direction of the world right <clears throat> now that being said federations uh, ours in particular you know we're not experts at technology we're not technology companies um but we utilize it right and we have data and we are the repository of a lot of data yeah. um and um you know as a regulator uh, and uh, th that's a big part of have, being able to do that. And we license 2,300 horse shows in the United States every year. Um, and all the international FEI events occur at those horse shows. And that's across, again, 29 <laughs> different breeds and disciplines. So, um, you know, these are not just the three Olympic sports, but many, many, many other types of disciplines. And, of course, breed shows happen underneath uh, our purview. And there's a, lot that, there's a lot that needs to be done with that. So uh, the good news is... Um, Technology helps connect all that better than it has in the past. You know, the yeah. bad news is, you know, new technology is new for anyone, where, no matter where you worked. And listen, I've seen this a lot. I, you know, I worked on a very fast-paced, dynamic. We made decisions in a second, right? On Wall Street, you had to buy, sell, buy, sell, and new technologies came in all the time. And even there, where I thought the environment was dependent on fast change and new technologies. There were many, many people that um, uh, were very comfortable with whatever it was they were using or how they used it. And so change, you know, everyone responds to change differently. And it doesn't mean anyone's right or wrong either. I think that's the way you look at it. People just respond to things at a different, you know, rate of uh, acceptance. Or, um, and I think that's what we see in our, in our sport. Um, you know, a lot of young people like you, Marie, and, uh, are involved with new are applying new technologies to our sport, which you know we embrace. We we have we have more conversations, just learning about what people are doing in the uh, in the equestrian ecosphere. I call it uh, because we need to be up to speed on what they're doing in it. Whether you know there's software companies, there's all sorts of things happening. Educational companies, data companies, um, health companies, education companies. Uh, you know that are all creating products using technology for the equestrian sport so um we embrace it and we try to and, and by the way that's a that's a fire hose it's hard to keep up on all that um you know we're not involved with them all, but we need to understand them all not just from a regulatory purpose but from a, a marketing our sport going forward and growth and making sure that we understand what is available so that we can avail ourselves of it to leverage it to get our sport to reach more people Right? That's a big goal, and to um, and, and and to make it more fun and, and more uh, inclusive to more people. I think that's you know what we need to do. But so technology can help us with all that, right? It's not there to prevent that from happening. Sometimes it can be applied the wrong way, but in general, this is where we're going. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, that's very interesting. And where do you so where do you think? Like, what do you think the market will look like? I mean, that's a tough question, and that's very opinionated. And I don't think this is anything to do with with data that's going to be your personal opinion but where do you think the market will will be in like five to ten years and what would be the ideal show jumping market for you specifically about show jumping but generally equestrian wise well yeah you know show jumping i 
you know, show jumping is such an exciting sport, right? People um, love to watch it, uh, whether you're an equestrian or not. And, you know, I, I think our sport's a little bit inward looking the way it's been managed over the years um, because people who run horse shows want people to be there physically uh, with horses, showing the horses. Uh, you know, and trainers want people to get on a horse so they can train them. And this is how people, this is the business model. People, you know, it's a physicality. You want to be around a horse, at a barn, at a horse show. Um, but to me, one of the things that we haven't focused on as much is versus other sports, quite frankly, is um, connecting with non-equestrians. So there's data out there, right? We know that there are people interested in the horse. And unfortunately, they just don't know as much about the horse as you or your followers know about a horse, right? Um, and different places do it differently and, you know, it's, uh, and are better at getting that exposure. And, you know, some people always refer to, quote, unquote, you know, culturally, it's different in certain countries versus others. But at the end of the day, I think people everywhere love horses. And what I think that cultural difference that people refer to when you see a show jumping competition in a certain part of Europe, you know, having a lot of people sitting in the stands and maybe if you see it in another part of the world, you might not see that. And, and people say, well, see, everyone in, in that town in Europe comes out for that, right? Well, I think, you know, the cultural part was they've connected with those people much earlier and long ago that maybe we haven't done in certain parts of the United States or other parts of the world even. But Technology, by the way, we can now reach those people via, you know, digital media and um, and social media and all these different ways. I mean, we have big numbers of people who are not members of our federation following our sport now. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's and, brilliant. And, and to data, Marie, you you may know some of these things, but I know in the United States. You know, it's a big country, right? We're spread out all over the place. That, that's one of the good things. That's also one of the challenges managing a sport. We're all over the place. So I heard a top. Uh, one of our top riders at a recent meeting, he said, you know, the distance between New York and, uh, and, and San Francisco is, you know, getting to the European continent is closer to New York than getting to San Francisco at times. Um, so for flights and shows, so that we're connected, right? I mean, we could talk yeah. about the United States, but we could also talk about popping over to Europe for a certain level of riders. Not everyone can do that, of course, but for a certain level of riders, that's as close as going across our country. We're going up to Canada or down to Central or South America. Um, so anyway, they're all connected. But some of the data is in our country, a third of all households in the United States have someone in it who loves a horse. And the good news about that data is it says that half of those people who say they have an interest in a horse are under the age of 25. So those are two two data points I take, you know, great comfort in because so many people say, you know, young people today, they're not outdoors, they're not doing outdoor activities, they all want to play video games. I don't, I, that is true. But I also think that if given the option, if we connect to them, and that that's on us, like, let's let them know about these great stories about horses and, and, and everyone can't be, you know, at the top of the global ranking tables for any given discipline or sport. There's lots of ways to enjoy horses, right? So 30, a third of the households in America, that's like 30 million, 27, 30 million people. Um, I saw another statistic, literally in the United States, 27 million people found their way to the back of a horse one year recently. I don't have it for the most recent years, but that was another statistic I've seen. You know, there's only between, again, there's different data on this, uh, but there's approximately 9 million horses in the United States, right? That's so, a lot. So a lot of them, 
right? They're not all under the USEF. They're not all doing, you know, certain things, but there's a lot out there. To me, that's equestrian sport. Now, whether they're going for a trail ride, but these people have found their way to, the, to a horse somewhere, and the majority of them are going for trail rides, but they have an interest in sport. So I already know they like horses, so I want to connect them to, you know, all levels of sport, from grassroots to high end. And I, I think that's how we grow our sport, just the awareness and the connectivity. And we've really never you know, had a central focus of doing that like other sports have over the years. And that's really one of my uh, big initiatives. And we're working on Absolutely. it. We're, we're moving down that track. It'll happen. Absolutely. I think, I think that without giving names, I mean, there's a lot of companies right now and that are doing things for the benefit of the sport, yep. whether it's using data, whether it's using um, sports fan engagement tools, like there's all sorts going on. People are sure. testing new things. And I think that the sport is definitely going towards a very interesting way. Um, and, and we'll see what we'll see what happens. Just to finalize this, because I don't want to be taking too much of your time. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know I talk a lot, Marie. You please cover something you definitely wanted to cover. I'm sorry if I went I, off on honestly, some tangent. It's, it's brilliant, Thomas, because there's people where you have to ask the question, wait till they finish, ask the second question. You answer most of my questions without me having to ask them. Okay, so good, I love good, that. Good, That's good. the brilliant good. part of it. Um, I just I just have one last question for you. Um, mm -hmm. So. From your perspective, you know how many people, like how many top athletes, specifically talking jumping, but just internationally, come from America. You guys have a brilliant program when it comes it to training for the top level. Um, so, do you think it has any particular, any particular thing to do with the quality of American training program? What you take on us? Well, I think so. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, you know, the American style of riding, it's different. And, uh, but but it, it, I think that is expanding. And, you know, we take great pride. Uh, the U.S. teams um, have been uh, expanding. Uh, and, and, and I like to see it more. We've had more on our U.S. show jumping team in particular. We've had more. Uh, younger people and and more numbers of individuals, in, unique individuals representing the United States, you know, in the last number of years than than in a lot of the a similar time period before that, right? So it's definitely broadening, um, and we give them that opportunity. And you know, the USEF, and of course, you know, we have a great we have a great partner over here in the U.S. It's the U.S. Equestrian Team Foundation. And those people just work so hard. There's so many volunteers there who work to help with our funding for our, our U.S. international sport. You know, that's where a majority of that all comes from. Um, so that's very, very important. We have a great, great symbiotic relationship with them now to help drive. We talk to them about our plans with the U.S. teams and where we're going with them. And um, and the people, they get excited about it. I love to talk to them and, and, and our senior staff at both the USEF and the USE team and our coaches and all the people who really make those things happen. Uh, we work together uh, very, very well. And if we don't, we all sit down and try to figure out how we could do it better, um, which we are undergoing in eventing right now, which is very exciting. Some of the greatest minds in U.S. eventing, in my opinion, have all sat down and said, what else do we want to do? And there's a lot of change. There's a lot of things that we're doing different. But um, I think in, in show jumping, I, I, the, the, if you look, look at the U.S. teams that are showing up over in Europe and are in the Nations Cup competition. Yeah, the, you, you don't see the same four or five starters coming in every single time. And we do that on purpose. 
um, to make sure that we're training more people to compete, get experience at that level so that we can broaden our, our base of our teams um, and, and their success, I think, has been great. So very happy to see that. And that, that was done. You know, I had nothing to do with it. I just I, I, I stand on the sidelines and applaud. But those efforts have been spectacular. That plan and that that's been done by design. Let me just put it that way. Um, and by the way, we monitor very closely what's happened in every other country and uh, and, and how they do it. And, and there's some great, great programs, riders, horses, owners. Very important part of this whole equation. But as you can imagine, you know, being the hub of a wheel of a sport. Uh, the USEF and the USET Foundation, we have to connect and communicate with a lot of people to make these uh, programs successful. You know, in any sport, you always look at the teams that end up doing the best in the long run are the organizations that really work as a team. Um, and you can't just be blind to the only your team. You have to observe other teams and learn from other teams, their strengths, their weaknesses, and, and move through uh, and, and try to, uh, you know, deploy that on your squad. And I, I, I know we do a lot of that. I'm not saying other people don't, but we do a lot of that. So I do think a lot of the success is, as I say, by design because of the hard work of our, our sports department and all the people who uh, are involved. So so the, the breadth and depth, yeah, we have great facilities in the United States. There are more coming online. Uh, there are more people looking at investing in our sport. And uh, so these are all positive, positive trends. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And there's just going to be more and more opportunities for people to you know, ride at all levels, by the way. These investments are not just in high-end sport. These investments are happening all um, in all le levels of the sport. So, you know, you got to build the base. Without a base, you don't have a high-end. So they're, they're all very inter interconnected. And, uh, it's been very exciting to get the opportunity to work and move this whole thing forward. I'm I'm super excited to see where that leads us, and um and I think that you guys you guys are doing a fantastic job. I love following the work that's being done, the new you know initiatives taken, especially for for minorities and opening the sports up. I think yes. I think that the the sport is definitely going towards a much more open minded, um, open minded culture as well as a very inclusive. Um, at least there's goals for inclusivity, and I think that's also that's also very beautiful. And the standards are changing for much more honesty, transparency, and and mutual understanding across across cultures. And and I think that's that's definitely that's definitely a, a great great challenge, but yeah, a great move for for our industry. Thomas, thank you so much for for doing this and taking time. I know you're super busy, and yet you take the time for us. So honestly, that's that's very very appreciated. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I know you have a, a young person working for you who I saw she did some hustle and dug oh, around, she's great. And, and I'm like, she's you know, absolutely what? brilliant. Yeah, I'm like these people. This, these, this young lady was trying hard, and I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? So happy to do it, Marie. Nice to. I learned a lot about your company too, by the way. I'm not going to give them a plug here, but um, these are all things that I'm interested in and I'm trying to follow. So uh, I enjoyed having a conversation with you today, and thanks for the opportunity. That's brilliant. Well, my next challenge is definitely to get you to advise our company a little bit more. <laughs> That's on my task list. But anyways, Thomas, uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you so much, and uh, and we'll be in touch. All right, take care. Bye now. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. Hey, how was that? I hope you found a lot of value and a lot of learnings in this new episode of Naysays. For more information, feel free to subscribe to the podcast, get in touch with our team. And remember, if you're looking to either sell or buy a high-quality show jumping horse, you know where to find us. See you soon. On to the next episode of Naysays. And have a lovely beginning of the summer.